humans have documented red tide for hundreds of years. And it really only becomes an issue when the red tide blooms and then is brought onto shore where it impacts us. Hello, and welcome to the From Urban to Ag podcast. I am so glad to have you here. The goal of this podcast is to answer questions consumers have about agriculture, food, environmental sciences, and natural resources, connect listeners to experts within these industries who can provide science-based information and answers, and lastly, to share the narrative of agriculture because it is broad and diverse and intriguing. In these podcast episodes, you can expect to learn about several different industries and disciplines such as swine production, agricultural communication, dairy production, agribusiness, and so much more. Thank you for listening. Now on to the episode. Hello, hello, loyal, wonderful, faithful listeners, and welcome back to another week of the From Urban to Ag podcast. First and foremost, this episode is going live as of Wednesday, September 30th, today for me, uh, which happens to be International Podcast Day. So happy International Podcast Day, everyone. Today's episode is the final episode of tracks supported by grant funding from the Thompson Earth Assistance Institute and was made in partnership with the Florida Sea Grant. And for today's episode, we are actually going to be continuing our conversation on Red Tide with Miss Lisa Krimsky. Lisa is part of a team of five water resource regional specialized agents located across the state of Florida, and they lead and support water resource extension education programs. So Lisa's efforts will focus mainly in the southeast of Florida and are centered around water quality conservation. So I, after such great feedback from the first episode of Red Tide, I'm so happy to be able to continue the conversation today. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Hello, everyone. So today we are doing our second segment on red tide or harmful algal blooms, as I've learned that they are more correctly termed. And to speak with us today is Miss Lisa Krimsky. And I think I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself, Lisa. Yes. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, as you said, my name is Lisa Krimsky. I am an extension faculty member at the University of Florida IFAS Extension and the Florida Sea Grant Program. And more specifically, I'm a regional water resources extension agent. So I work mostly on coastal water quality and harmful algal bloom issues in the state of Florida. Perfect. And can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what got you interested in water and environmental sciences and specifically harmful algal blooms? Well, I've been interested in environmental sciences and in the more general marine biology um, for as long as I can remember. Uh, and that's where I focused on for undergrad. And I was fortunate enough to continue my studies in marine biosciences for graduate school. And I realized at that point that I wanted to um, apply. Research wasn't necessarily my uh, priority or my focus. So, but I really enjoyed applied research. So I was fortunate enough after graduate school to get a position with the University of Florida IFAS Extension and Florida Sea Grant as a county extension agent. And what extension agents do is basically take applied research to inform community decision making using science-based information. 
And more recently, um, I'm in my pre- my current position, which is water resources. And that allowed me to really get a lot more focused on water issues in the state. Water is one of those unique topics that literally touches everybody. And so being able to work with communities on an issue that is important to everyone um, was kind of the ideal situation for me and a great opportunity. That's great. That's great. I think I appreciate that you touched on kind of what extension agents do, because I think, you know, the audience, part of the audience for this podcast are people that aren't from an agricultural background and don't maybe aren't familiar with cooperative extension. So I appreciate you kind of clarifying. And I love that you mentioned people's connection to water. Um, I'm not going, I mean, I'm working on a study right now, so I'm not going to share the findings and whatnot, but I have been looking into like water connectedness and how some people don't realize, you know, when you think of water, you might think of the ocean or lakes, but also looking at urban watersheds or how your everyday habits can affect the water cycle and whatnot. So I love that you mentioned the aspect of connectedness of how people are all connected to water. So thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. So getting into kind of the meat of today, what is red tide, or like I said, I'm going to try my best to call them harmful algal blooms, uh, (laughs) and why is it an issue? Well, as you mentioned, the red tide that we are focusing on today is um, a type of harmful algal bloom that impacts the state of Florida and other Gulf Coast states, and it's caused by a type of algae adinoflagellate called Karenia brevis. So it's a very specific type of harmful algal bloom, and we call it red tide because of the discoloration to the water that occurs when you have a large number of these algae cells in a water body. And it's an issue because the dinoflagellate um, does contain a, a toxin. So it is harmful, which is why we call them harmful algal blooms. Um, to humans as well as to wildlife. So the toxin is called a brevitoxin, and um, it's a norotoxin. So it can be harmful to, as I said, wildlife. We often see pictures of fish kills, but it could also be harmful to human health. Okay. So you mentioned how this issue affects kind of Gulf Coast states. Mm -hmm. I know I have listeners from all over. We have Ireland, we have California, we are... I don't know who is who else is listening. I know Columbia, but we have people from a lot of different areas. Would red tide and kind of the idea of it being potentially harmful to humans, are people kind of outside of those Gulf Coast states also affected and impacted by red tide? The red tide that we're talking about today, Karenia brevis, is specifically found in the Gulf of Mexico, as we mentioned. And so really the only states that are going to be impacted by this species of red tide blooming organism are going to be those that are bordering the Gulf of Mexico when a harmful algal bloom does occur if that bloom is in the given location. We tend to call them Florida harmful algal blooms, but they do impact other states in the Gulf of Mexico. The tricky thing is, is that we call them red tides, but there are a variety of red tides that happen not only in the United States, but globally. And that's because we have a pretty bad habit of calling harmful algal blooms after the discoloration of the water. But all of these red tides, so to speak, are caused by very different organisms. 
And the toxins that are associated with these organisms are also different, as are the possible wildlife and human health implications. So for example, you mentioned the state of California. California also has red tide harmful algal blooms, but those are caused by an entirely different species than the Karenia brevis red tide that we have here in the state of Florida. So it's really important to note when we're talking about harmful algal blooms, especially about how to understand them and manage them and monitor for them, that we pay more attention to the organism itself than just the sort of casual names that we provide them. So for Karenia brevis red tide, really the only individuals that are going to be impacted are those who are immediately adjacent to the harmful algal bloom. And while, again, we might have those wildlife impacts and possible human health impacts, we also have other societal and economic impacts, but those tend to be localized to the bloom area. Very interesting. I'm not quite sure. I know I didn't really realize that it would be different organ different organisms causing it in different regions, but I suppose that makes sense. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah, I don't know um, if you've seen in the past, I'd say probably in the past three weeks to four weeks, there have been a lot of pictures of these bioluminescent blooms that have been happening mm -hmm. off of the California coast. So that's yeah. the California red tide. Um, they're having a bloom now where they were having a bloom about a month ago. Um, but again, that's an entirely different organism than what we have here in Florida. So the um, bioluminescence, is that a attribute to all harmful algal blooms? Or is that specific? Like you said, is it the specific ones caused in California that cause that effect? It's species specific. So the one in California okay. is um, happens to be a bioluminescent organism. We do have some bioluminescent harmful algal bloom species in the state of Florida, but not the red tide species. Okay, that makes sense. So moving into kind of, I always like to highlight how listeners can get involved. I know some of the people listening will be Florida residents. How can they get involved or participate in some of these outreach programs that you offer? Yeah, I think one of the questions that we get most, not just for Florida red tides, but for all harmful algal blooms is um, individuals want to know what they can do. And while there's a lot of complexities surrounding why and when a harmful algal bloom occurs, kind of the, the link between all algae is that they will bloom or they will grow in you know, the number of cells because of nutrients being available um, in an excess amount so that they are able to use these nutrients to grow and support the really large number of cells that are involved in a bloom. And humans are a major contributor to these nutrients. And as you mentioned, you, you were talking about water connectivity. It doesn't matter where you're located because water flows across boundaries. Water doesn't really care whether it's inland or coastal. It flows both on the surface and below ground. And it carries those human sources of nutrients with it, which can feed these algae blooms. So one of the easiest things that individuals can do is really to recognize and minimize their sources um, or their contribution of nutrients. So that's everything from fertilizers, human waste, if you have um, a, an old or leaky septic system, pet waste, believe it or not, dogs can be a really significant contributor to nutrients. 
So there's a lot of very simple everyday things that people can do to help minimize the nutrient contribution and hopefully minimize the number of harmful algal blooms that we have in the state. Perfect. That's it. That's exactly what I was hoping for you to cover is, you know, those, I read an article um, by Dr. Reisinger, I believe. And he talked about the pet waste, how that contributes. Um, do he also mentioned like personal care products. Um, would those also play a role in this kind of excess of nutrients? Not so much in nutrients. Um, personal care products are more a concern from the um, microplastic standpoint and maybe some other okay. associated chemicals in the environment, but not necessarily nutrients. Um, cleaning products used to have some phosphorus in them, but those have been removed from shelves for, for quite some time now. So um, yeah, again, those aren't really a contributor to nutrients. Doesn't mean you shouldn't pay okay. attention to what's going down your drain. If it's going down your drain, it's eventually <laughs> going to go into our water bodies um, after some sort of processing. So you should always pay attention to what's going down the drain, but nutrients <laughs> is not always a concern. Okay, perfect. Hey, and I think that's fair assumption too. Like you said, should always be conscious of all the different factors of things you're putting into down the drain or somehow into the water system. Exactly. So, um, I think now would be a great time to kind of move into some of the questions I got from online um, members from our Facebook group. So the first question was, how long has red tide been an issue? So red tide has been around, at least humans have documented red tide for hundreds of years. And again, the organism Karenia brevis is always there in background levels in the Gulf of Mexico. It's just part of the normal community, um, you know, the, the organismal community of the Gulf of Mexico. It really only becomes an issue when the red tide blooms and then is brought onto shore where it impacts us people. So it can be blooming out in the, you know, the middle of the Gulf and we don't know it or don't care about it because it's not where we are. Um, and we've, again, it's been around for a long time. In recent decades, there have been some pretty long and pretty severe red tides. So I think just public perception is increasing again, but it's not anything new to Florida. Okay. I think that goes perfectly well into our next question. Since you mentioned public perception and public awareness, someone asked, um, why haven't I heard of it much in California? Again, the, um, the red tide that we have here in Florida is pretty unique to the Gulf of Mexico. And so it's not a species or an organism that blooms um, in California. You do have your own harmful algal blooms. I'm sorry to say every state in the, <laughs> in the United States has some sort of harmful algal bloom species, but it's uh, a totally different organism than what we have here. Great. So I guess my last question before we wrap up this interview is if you could tell listeners, consumers, Florida residents, one thing about Florida water quality or harmful algal blooms, what would it be? That's actually a harder question. <laughs> it's a very simple question, but it's hard to answer because <laughs> I think generally speaking, 
you know, people live in Florida, people visit Florida because of our water and our water quality. And so it's extremely important to the state and to us as individuals. It's why we come here. It's why we want to visit here. It's why we want to live here. But we also are responsible for protecting it. Um, and so I think we often think of water quality as being this really large issue, but individuals, every single person really can have a pretty significant impact on protecting and improving our water quality. Perfect. I don't think I could have summed that up better. I think that's true to kind of give, kind of empower individuals. Like you said, if each of us can have our own big impact on it, and that's a very empowering thought. So Lisa, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course, of course. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of From Urban to Ag. More information and additional resources from today's episode can be found on my website, www.fromurbantoag.com. If you have any questions or comments about information presented in this episode, please get in touch via the contact tab on my website. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss the next one, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you.